Okay. I think we're ready to go. We're going to be opening our Bibles back up to Matthew chapter 24. Continuing on from last week, and uh, we'll start with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we study over some of the final words of Jesus, your son, before he died, we know that uh, there's important instruction here, not just for the apostles of his day, but for us in the church today as well. So help us to take it to heart, help us to learn from what Jesus is teaching us, and uh, what's most important in our lives right now, the things that we should be doing as church members and as your sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, please do your work and help us to understand. And we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 24 last week, uh, we started off there at the beginning of the chapter where Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So Jesus was actually predicting, he was giving a prophecy here, predicting the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, for that matter. And uh, we had a sermon going through uh, verse 1 through verse 35. And uh, we saw that Jesus first uh, addressed the subject of the destruction of the temple and when that was going to happen and what that was going to mean. And from verse 1 through verse 35, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about how terrible the time it's going to be, how difficult it's going to be for the people living not just in Jerusalem, but throughout all of Judea. And uh, at the end of that message, we saw a video last week, a very fine video that kind of depicted uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And you know, the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened from 66 to 70 AD, culminating in 70 AD, was really a, an earth-shaking event. It's not talked about all that much when it comes to other disasters that have happened down throughout history, but it really changed things dramatically for God's people and for the people in the Holy Land at that time. Because with the destruction of the temple came, for all intents and purposes, the end of the Old Covenant. You know, the Old Covenant was built around the priesthood and temple worship. And once the temple was destroyed, and once the priesthood, for all intents and purposes, was no longer functional, all the teachings of the Old Covenant, the sacrifices for sin, the washings, the, the different worship practices, pretty much came to an end. It became the time of what history calls the diaspora, when it was a dispersing of, of God's people, Israel, and for that, all intents and purposes, the church was scattered at that time because uh, Jerusalem and Judea was an invaded country by the Romans. So in a way, it was a blessing because the church scattered and the church started to spread around the world. And if that destruction had not taken place, you know, it probably would have been much more difficult for the church to start to spread and grow. But uh, now the focus is on Jesus himself, no longer the old covenant. The focus is on the new covenant. So as we studied this prophecy, we saw that really the turning point was verse 34. Everything from verse 1 through verse 34 was to happen at that time, 70 A.D., 
Because Jesus says here in verse 34, I, I tell you the truth, this generation, the one he was speaking to at that time, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So this Olivet prophecy, the prophecy that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives, the first portion, the destruction of Jerusalem is predicted and it was fulfilled in history at that point. So now we're gonna pick it up in verse 36 where Jesus continues on. Now he's going to discuss his second coming. And that was part of the uh, apostles question early on in chapter 24. You know, when is this destruction going to happen and when is the end of the age gonna happen? So now he's gonna talk about the end of the age or his second coming. And this is what he says in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So one of the chief lessons that we learn about Jesus' second coming, the only thing that can be said about his second coming is it's going to come when it's not expected. And you know, I can share with you that this church and this denomination through the, the past many decades, leading up to maybe about 15 or 20 years ago, spent most of its time trying to figure out when Jesus Christ was going to return. And sermons upon sermons and Bible studies upon Bible studies and looking for signs and, and, and it, you know, if you see this or if you see that, you know, Jesus is going to return. And uh, we tried to, to predict everything we could and all of the predictions failed. Jesus has not returned yet. But all the predictions we thought we should make and were really important fell through. So Jesus is teaching a lesson here. Don't spend your time as a Christian trying to figure out exactly when Jesus is going to return. He says, no one knows. No one knows. Verse 37, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we know the story of Noah and the flood. You know, the people were living their lives as they normally did. Of course, they were very sinful, and that's why the flood came. But they were just living their lives day to day until, all of a sudden, it started raining. And it had rained before, but this was a rain that continued on and on and on. And it didn't stop, and it just rained harder and harder and harder. And when this finally happened, people were just living their normal lives. And then all of a sudden this destruction and this flood came. So he says, for in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. So he's not saying that there's going to be a flood but he's going to be saying that life is going to be going on like normal. You know, we could be at our jobs when it happens. We could be out on a picnic with our family. That's how sudden it's going to be when Jesus Christ returns. You can't predict it. Don't waste your time trying to figure out exactly when it's going to happen. But he's going to talk about being ready. He says in verse 40, two men will be in the field. They're out there for work. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, doing their normal daily work. One will be taken 
and the other left. Now, what is this business about one being taken and the other being left? Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible tells us that when Jesus returns, there is going to be an instant gathering of God's people. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, those in Christ, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So when he says, Two will be grinding, one will be taken, and the other left. This is how the separation takes place. Those in Christ versus those not in Christ. We who are in Christ, when Jesus Christ returns on that day, will be taken up. The angels will gather us up with the Lord to be there with him as he's returning. And he will bring along with him the dead in Christ. Okay, And there will be a resurrection at that time. So that's what he's talking about. It's going to come suddenly. People are going to be out doing their jobs when it happens. And all of a sudden, those in Christ are going to be taken by the angels to meet the Lord. Those not in Christ are going to be standing there wondering what's going on. That's how sudden it's going to be. Now, some people, some churches feel that this is a time of the rapture. I don't agree with that. I feel that this is the time of Jesus Christ's second coming. And I'm not going to get into a discussion of all that, but uh, this is what I believe God's word is preaching here. Let's continue reading on. So Jesus' return is going to be so unexpected that everybody's going to be at their regular jobs when it happens. Some will be spiritually prepared, some will not. That's why he says in verse 42, therefore keep watch. In other words, be prepared for that day when it comes because it's going to come suddenly. Now, when he says keep watch, that doesn't mean you stand at the front door of your house with a pair of binoculars looking up to the sky, watching for Jesus. He doesn't say to do that. He's going to talk here about being spiritually prepared for his return. You know, I think that all those years when we were just laboring over prophecies and trying to come up with ideas about how that's going to happen and how that's going to happen and who represents this and who represents that, we were standing at the front door with binoculars, looking up at the sky, waiting for Jesus to return. That's not what he means when he says, keep watch. We're going to understand a little bit more clearly what he means. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So again, to keep watch does not mean to try to calculate the date of his return. Jesus said that it's impossible. It means to be spiritually ready, spiritually prepared. Now let's read and see what that means. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant? 
whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. So that's us. We're servants of God. We're uh, managers of what he's given us. This is what our life is right now. Verse 46, for it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So in other words, when the master leaves a servant in charge during his absence, he does not expect to find that servant waiting at the door, watching for the master with binoculars. <laughs> he expects to find the servant doing the job he was given to do. Being ready for Jesus isn't about prophetic speculation, but it's about faithful stewardship. Again, verse 47, I tell you the truth. He's talking about the master who comes back home and finds his servant doing what he told him to do in his absence. Verse 47, I tell you the truth. He, the master, will put him, the servant, in charge of all of his possessions. That's what we're seeking for. That's what we're anticipating. When Jesus returns, we are going to be rewarded. We are going to inherit what Jesus Christ himself has inherited. And in order for us to do that, we got to be busy doing the work that God has given us to do. Verse 48, but suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Well, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at, at an hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So whenever you see that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that refers to the people who are sorrowful and angry and upset that they're not going to receive a reward, maybe like they thought they would. They're left on the outside rather than being on the inside. So what is the lesson here for us? You don't know when Jesus is going to return. His return is going to be so sudden that it's going to be an ordinary work day for you, for all intents and purposes. And all of a sudden, there he is. And what Jesus wants to find when he returns, he wants to find his servants going about doing the work. And I'm not just talking about physical work. I'm also talking about spiritual involvement. And that's what we're doing here today. We're involving ourselves spiritually. We're seeking to grow and to learn more about God and to worship him and to offer an offering to him. But it's not just about church. It's about our daily Christian lives, doing the work that God has given you to do. Like I said, being ready for Jesus isn't about prophetic speculation, but it's about faithful stewardship. So, if I could just give you an example here. I'll, I'll pick on my friend Melissa. Let's say one day, Melissa's mom's going off to work or doing whatever she needs to do, and she says, okay, Melissa, when I'm gone, here's what I want you to do. I want you to clean your room. I want you to fix your bed. I want you to cook dinner to make sure it's ready when I get home. So let's say then Mary comes home and finds Melissa at the front door looking down the street with binoculars. <laughs> and Mary's going to say, Melissa, what are you doing? And Melissa's going to say, well, I've been looking for you. I've been watching for you, waiting for you. 
and her mom's going to say, but Melissa, you didn't do all the things that I asked you to do while I was gone. So then Melissa will be in trouble. This is what Jesus says to us. I don't want you to spend your time looking up at the sky with binoculars, trying to figure out what day I'm going to return and who's fulfilling all the prophecies mentioned in the Bible and counting days and counting uh, months and years. and Just do the work that I gave you to do. I asked you to do this while I'm gone, and when I come back, I want to find you doing the work that I asked you to do. And then God will be pleased. So that's the first lesson about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now notice, we're going to read about two or three different parables here. And all of the parables involve somebody who is away for a long time. And we're waiting for their return. In this case, it was the master and his servants. The master went away. He was gone for a long time. And in fact, he said, be careful that you don't grow lazy and think, well, my master's never going to return. So I'm going to just go do whatever I want, do my own thing. All of these parables refer to Jesus being away for a while, a long time. Because when Jesus told these stories, he knew that he was eventually going to die, be buried, rise from the dead, ascend up to heaven, and then be gone for a long time. It was going to be not only centuries, but a couple millennia, thousand years. So he knew that this was going to happen. That's why he's telling these stories about servants whose masters have been away for a long time and what they're doing now in the meantime and what's going to please Jesus upon his return and what's going to upset Jesus upon his return. So the first lesson is be prepared. Be spiritually ready. Don't get lazy. Don't get distracted. Keep involving yourself in what it means to be a Christian. Don't let up. Let's read on now in chapter 25. Well, let's see here. Chapter 25, verse 1. The parable of, we'll call it the ten bridesmaids, because we're all familiar with weddings and what bridesmaids do. At the time, the kingdom of heaven, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So the custom was back in these days that when a wedding would take place, there would be a procession from the wedding escorting the, brides, the bridegroom and his bride back to his home where they're going to live. And there'd be a real beautiful parade or a ceremony where the bridesmaids would have lighted lamps. And in this case, 10, ten of them would lead the way for the new bride and groom after the ceremony to go back to the home where they're going to live. Just a real beautiful service and a real beautiful ceremony. The torches that they carried had to be ready or they wouldn't provide the needed light for the procession. Because in some cases it would be at night that they'd have the procession back to the bride and groom's home. So it talks about these ten bridesmaids took their lamps, went out to meet the bridegroom, Verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them because it was oil burning lamps. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
The bridegroom, again, notice, was a long time in coming. The one that they're waiting for, just like we're waiting for Jesus a long time, they're waiting for the bridegroom, he's a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So it was a long wait. So an important part of the story is the delay. The church today must be prepared to wait for Jesus' return. Now these bridesmaids all fell asleep during the wait, so the point is not that we're on constant alert for the return of Jesus, you can't live like that, but that we must have the necessary provision for when the time does come. Verse 6, at midnight, sure enough, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, or the bridesmaids, and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you, then there won't be any light. It'll be total darkness. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. So this is talking about exclusion here. In other words, you've got to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, because he's going to come at a time that you don't expect. Now, if you're ready and you're prepared, you're going to be okay. But if you're not ready, you're not prepared, the door was shut. And here these five foolish bridesmaids were left outside. They couldn't get in. Later, the others also came. Sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So again, another lesson for us. It's going to be a long time, and it has been a long time until Jesus' return. We're still waiting. Be prepared. Don't be at the uh, front door with binoculars looking for him, but make sure that you spiritually are prepared for his return. Now, okay, what does that mean for the ordinary person? Well, we've heard the gospel, as most people have, and we responded to it. We believed, that's important. God has given us the faith to believe what we read about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did on our behalf and how we are all sinners and how we desperately need a savior. And we responded to that. That's part of being ready. You've responded to the gospel, okay? And once becoming a Christian, being born again, receiving the Holy Spirit, you set out now on this Christian life, trying to please Jesus Christ, who is our friend, as Pastor Bill mentioned. You know, he gave us the great command of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. So live that way. This is part of spiritual preparation for the return of Jesus Christ, obeying his commands. So everything that he has told us to do in scripture, we should do our best to try to do. We're not doing it perfectly, but hopefully as the, the weeks and the years go by, we're, we're doing better and making some in, inroads. This is all a part of preparation for Jesus' return, staying in close relationship with him. Okay, this, this son of God who has become our savior, he wants to communicate with us. 
So we talk to him in prayer on a regular basis. We read his words on a regular basis. We come and worship him on a regular basis, not just Jesus, but also the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. This is being prepared and being ready. And you don't lapse, you know, this uh, interest and, and this dedication. You don't take vacations from it. I'm just talking about spiritual vacations where you decide, well, you know what, I'm kind of tired of going to church. I don't think I'm going to go for a while. And I fear this has happened with some of the people over the, the COVID crisis. You know, going to church is a good habit to do, but you can also fall out of it. And I think a lot of churches are kind of lamenting now that since things are opening back up again, some people aren't coming back to church because they've gotten into a lazy habit of not going and kind of drifting from God. And I'm not condemning or saying everybody, you know, who's no longer going to church is, feels that way, but sometimes I fear that some have. So I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I'm glad that you stuck it out because you're Christ-centered and you came back to church as soon as you, you possibly could and taking all necessary precautions as we did with the masks and the hand washings and the, all that stuff. But God has brought us through it, and here we are. And we're focused back on the main priority in our lives. But if you don't get prepared, if you don't respond to the gospel, if you don't repent and be, become baptized, and if you don't you know, follow in this Christian life, the door was closed. And Jesus said to these bridesmaids, I don't know you because you didn't invest the time. You didn't make the effort. So when Jesus returns, he wants to find his servants doing the work that he gave them to do, responding to the gospel in the way that we should. Let's read on now in Matthew 25 and verse 14. Another parable that he gives is the parable of the talents. Now, back in ancient times, a talent was a sum of money. I was watching an archaeology program one time from the Middle East, and th there were some gold bars that they found. And they said, anciently, these gold bars were called talents. So a talent represented money. Now, in our culture and in our language, talent has come to represent an ability or a kind of a giftedness that, that people have. There's musical talents, there's teaching talents, there's cooking talents, there's hospitality talents, there's all sorts of different talents. So when we think of talents, we think of an ability or a, a way of serving. And, and you can look at it both ways. But he says here again, it will be like a man going on a long journey. Here we go again. <laughs> The, the main character of the, the story is away for a long time, just like Jesus is now. But the lesson is be prepared because he's coming back. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. So we know the scripture tells us that when we receive the Holy Spirit, God gives us a gift. There's a gift there. And sometimes people search and search and search, and 
I've had people come up to me over the years and say, you know, Pastor, I just know, I don't know what my gift is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And usually I respond by saying, what do you enjoy doing? Because chances are the gift that God has given you is in line with what you enjoy doing. And I say to the person, well, what do you enjoy doing? I enjoy cooking. Good, that's a gift. Not everybody has that gift to be able to cook. The gift of hospitality, the, the, the gift of, of preparing food and enjoying seeing people eat it and benefit from it. That's a gift, the gift of hospitality. I think that, that we've had a lot of that gift in our church over the years and praise God for it. And we put it to good use too. But teaching is a gift. Uh, the ability to, to talk to people, to encourage people. Friendliness, I think, is a gift. Because sometimes when you go to church and you're not feeling all that great, you're down in the dumps, you generally, generally want to seek out a friendly, encouraging person when you come to church. Why? Because they're going to lift you up and make you feel better. That's a gift. There's all sorts of gifts that God gives out. But in this case, he gives different gifts. Maybe some people have a couple of gifts. Maybe some people have a few gifts. Maybe some people just have one particular gift. That's fine. That's up to the Holy Spirit to dispense those as he sees fit. So to one he gave five talents, in this case money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents, verse 16, went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So alas, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So again, another story of a master going away, leaving his servants with responsibilities to fulfill. And again, there was a long time to wait. Now, as we're gonna learn from this story, being ready for their master's return is not passive waiting, but getting on with the job and making the most of opportunities entrusted to us. Although talent, as I said, refers to a large amount of money, it can also apply to God-given talents. So we read on here. Verse 19. After different amounts were given to the different servants, you know, God recognizes that we are all different, and he expects of us only what is appropriate. So verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. In other words, I used what you gave me to the greatest benefit for your glory, master. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So that is the, the reward the master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So notice the reward is the same. No matter how many talents you've been given, you've used them to the master's glory. Come and share your master's happiness. So in other words, use the talent that God has given you. 
maybe first you need to discover the talent God has given you. But if you don't know what it is, ask around. You know, I've been in this church 10 years, and I still don't know what my talent is. What have you seen in me? Talk to your friends in the church. What have you seen? What, what makes you happy? What do you enjoy doing? God isn't going to give you a talent that you just loathe. He's going to give you a talent in an area where you're gifted, where you enjoy it, and you can use it. You're going to be happy. God's going to be happy. But use it. Do something with it. If you say, you know, Pastor, I've got this talent, but I don't see anywhere in the church where it could be put to use. You know what? We'll invent something where we can use that talent. I've said that several times. You come to me, you got a particular talent, let's put our heads together and figure out how it can be used for God's glory. We'll, we'll come up with an idea. But then finally, verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, don't get the wrong impression. This story isn't saying that God is a beast and he's angry and he's, you know, like some uh, ruthless businessman. It's not describing God in that way. It's just describing the master in this particular story. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So he did the exact opposite of what the master intended him to do. He didn't want to risk it. He didn't want to take chances. And, you know, over the years, I've seen that as an attitude on the part of some church members. They may have a gift, a really great gift and, and capabilities in ways to serve in the church. But they said, oh, don't put me up there with the microphone. I, I could never do that. Even though they do it elsewhere, maybe they do it in the community or do it at work or they're able to maybe communicate or take charge in certain areas. When it comes to the church, oh, no, not me. You're not going to put me up there. You know, that's hiding your talent in the ground, an ability that God has given you. And why not use it? Uh, it's too risky. I may get up there and embarrass myself. You know, I may cook food for the church and somebody says, this is terrible. <laughs> or, you know, I may, uh, I may be in charge of cleaning up the church and somebody comes in here and says, man, what a mess this place is. They didn't put much effort. I don't want to be embarrassed like that. I don't want to be insulted like that. So they don't do anything. And that's, learn the lesson from the parable. Don't be the guy who buries the talent in the ground because he fears, you know, getting made fun of or getting rejected or uh, somebody complaining or being embarrassed. I'll tell you, when it comes to speaking, you should have heard the first sermonette I ever gave. <laughs> it was terrible. When I was at a college, seminary college, they were teaching us how to speak in front of people and teach the Bible, and they made us record our first several messages. And boy, 
I never wanted to listen to it again. It was really bad. It was really bad. And I don't really pride myself on being a fantastic speaker because I don't think I am. I think I'm able to communicate and that's the most important thing. But I'm not up here telling jokes and you know, uh, being real boisterous and I don't have a whole lot of stories from my life to tell and a lot of experiences and things like that. I've never climbed Mount Everest and never you know, sailed the Atlantic Ocean by myself. I don't have stories like that to tell. I like to focus on communicating God's word and trying to get the point across in an understandable way. But you know, we've all had embarrassments trying to serve in the church over the years and we've all flubbed up and you know what? God doesn't care. When he returns, he wants to find you, the servant, no matter how many talents you've been given, or if it's even one, using it. Using it. Growing from it. Learning how to use that gift in a more beneficial way. You know, if you cook for the church and maybe one recipe flops, you throw that one out. Say, I'm not going to cook that anymore. I've got other ones to try here. Maybe that one failed, but it's all good. So... Being prepared for Jesus' return involves using his gifts responsibly and even adventurously. Say, well, I don't know if I can do something like that, but I'm willing to give it a try. Pastor asked me to do this in church. You know what? I'm going to give it a try. Who knows? I might be a success at it. It might be one of my gifts after all. That's the kind of attitude we need in the church. And God bless all of you who have served over the years. I know God has been well pleased and I have too. But we're talking about being prepared. So we're going to wrap it up here and have a, a final part of this sermon next week. So what is the lesson that we learned from today? Jesus talked to us and the church about his second coming. First thing is, don't try to figure out what day it is. You're not going to figure it out. It's going to come unexpectedly. Okay? And when it happens, you may be at work doing your normal business and all of a sudden... You're gone and your friends are still there. Why? Because you're in Christ. Now, if they're in Christ, they're going to go with you to meet the Lord in the air. And it's going to be a wonderful time. But be prepared spiritually. Like the, the bridesmaids, they had to be prepared to make sure that they were ready at all times. We're not on a razor's edge waiting for his return, but every day we're thinking about it. And every day we're longing for it. And every day we're thinking about how great it's going to be when our bodies are changed in this old worn out body, we don't have to deal with it anymore. We're gonna have new bodies. We're gonna have a new life with God forever, for all eternity. That's part of what we're going to inherit through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for helping us to understand Jesus' prophecy about his second coming and what our responsibility is in the meantime. He hasn't laid a heavy burden on us, Father. It's an easy yoke that we put on. It's a matter of being ready. It's a matter of about thinking about you, Father, every day, keeping in contact with you, keeping in contact with the church, worshiping you on a regular basis, reading your word on a regular basis, encouraging one another in the church on a regular basis. This is what we've been called to do. And we know that when Jesus returns, if we're doing this, he will be greatly pleased and we will inherit our reward. We don't want to be like the bridesmaids that are find themselves outside the room with the door closed and somebody telling us that they don't even know us. 
we see clearly now what our responsibility is. Father, help us. Strengthen us daily. Remind us daily of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians in your church. And we long for the day that you say to your son, this is it. This is the time you will go down to earth now. And all of this will come to be fulfilled. Father, we long for that day. Make it soon. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.